What up, what up, everybody? This is Double G for the Fight Game Podcast. We have a special Friday night, Saturday morning, depending on when you listen to this edition of the podcast. Bring it on, doing to talk about all the boxing stuff that's happening this weekend, in addition to reviewing a movie that is going to be out next week in the uh, in the midweek on a, it's digital uh, anywhere where you get your digital content it'll be out there it is called I am Duran about the great Roberto Duran and it kind of nicely pieces in together with uh, our fabulous four uh, content that we you know that we just finished we just finished the whole series so doing how excited are you for Joshua's fight this weekend you know this weekend it's a huge night for Anthony Joshua making his d- debut in America. Um, you know, a big show at the Garden. They've got a big put together a big card for for this, and you know, it's a big opportunity for for him to make a splash. But you know, I think also for Anthony Joshua, like he never really shows it, um, because he's a pretty cool customer. But it's got to been a frustrating period for him, um, as it has been for a lot a lot of boxing fans. You know, I think when the the Big Baby Miller fight was initially signed. I think there was kind of a feeling with Joshua that it wasn't necessarily the fight he wanted. He wasn't meant to fight beforehand. He was meant to fight a couple of months back in Wembley. Couldn't get the right matchup for it. You know, he wanted Wilder he, or um, Dillian White for that. Neither of those got through. And I think it, when it came down to the Miller fight, it was just kind of more, we need to get back in the ring, we need to fight again and we need to push on forward. So I think they were just kind of happy to get that fight signed. You know, we started building up that fight. He had to kind of sit through these press conference with Miller, Miller uh, t- talking trash to, to him for uh, like, you know, all these weeks. And I think he's kind of at a point where he's just like, okay, I just want to get this in the ring so I can shut this clown up. And then Miller blew, blew, blew the drug test. He, he was out in his ear. And, you know, they had some tricky negotiations with a few different people it didn't work out like some people were wasting their time and eventually it's like Andy Ruiz who's now stepped in uh, to, to take this fight and in terms of Andy Ruiz you know I think he's a lateral step from Miller I think they're roughly in and around the same level If you, you I think probably the difference is with Miller we didn't really know his, how big his upside is you know he was unbeaten but he was really untested with Ruiz we kind of know his ceiling we've seen that he lost like you know a close decision to Joe Parker um so we know that you know he's a real top 10 guy um but you know you would expect he would be someone you'd expect uh Joshua to deal with kind of handily I think you know in terms of style they were both kind of had to approach the fight pretty similarly uh, you know you, you, neither of them can really box with Joshua they just get destroyed so they're going to have to put the pressure on him and try keep a high work rate with with Ruiz you have more the fat like he's quicker he's a lot quicker than Miller he'll get in there he'll try and make a fight of it uh, with Miller he obviously had the big size advantage so like it's there's there's some changes but at the same time I think stylistically either one was just gonna have to try make it a fight with Anthony Joshua and I think unfortunately for both of them and in this case uh Ruiz I think that's gonna 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 mean he's gonna take a lot of a lot of shots 
Do you sense now, I, I've been seeing uh, Joshua kind of all over the place. Obviously, his big U.S. debut. This is a big fight for Joshua. This is a big fight for Matchroom's, you know, coming into the United States and, and having a big fight at Madison Square Garden. It's also a big night for DAZN. Um, do you sense that there is any worry that because he's doing so much of this U.S. media that he may be overlooking Ruiz. I saw the video with uh, him letting Ruiz hold the belts and stuff, and uh, he seems to be in a very jovial mood. I know that's kind of his personality. He is a uh, he is a very nice guy. He's very well spoken, very funny guy. I heard a podcast where they were saying, you know, because he's a very he's tall as well, and they were saying, you know. About his basketball career, because I guess there's video out there of him like missing a dunk or something, and at six foot six and as super athletic as he is, that's kind of funny. But I just, I just sense like, he, I think he understands the show aspect of it, and he's doing a good job of promoting that piece of it. But I wonder how that affects the psyche because come Saturday, he's going to have a guy with nothing to lose and everything to gain, and it's exactly the opposite for Joshua. Yeah, and I think, you know, like in any circumstance where you have a change of fight, like, you know, I said earlier, it's probably, you know, pretty much an even switch, uh, whether whether it was Ruiz or Miller. In any kind of circumstance like that, I generally prefer that the original fight happens just because things tend to like fall a little bit strangely when you have late substitutes come in you know sometimes you see flat performances sometimes like sometimes you know are sometimes the, the opponent do, doesn't show up um like in this case i do think ruiz is definitely going to show up you know he's just out of a, a fight where he performed quite well in april um He's had a good six weeks to train uh, for training to prepare for this, so he should he should be ready to go to the ring. But you know, it, it, it that is the case. You know, as we said, this is the fight, Joshua. This is the fight Joshua didn't necessarily want, um, and there's always the risk that he could be taking his, his he could take his eye off the ball. Now, I don't expect that to happen. He's extremely professional, and you know, I think he realizes how big a deal this is for him in, in the US market, you know, that he does need to make an impact. So, I'm, like, I am expecting to, like, a, a very good Anthony Joshua performance. But, yeah, like, there is a lot of weight on him as, as well. You, you, you know, he, he is, is going to be one of the flag bearers for Matchroom uh, in, in America. I know the Sone were, like, from at the moment that, that deal was signed, the Sone were pressure, pressuring to get a, a Joshua fight over in America. So, you know, now they have the, have the opportunity to see him. And, um, you know, the, the pressure's on him to produce the goods. So... When it comes to Ruiz as a challenger, um, it, you know you kind of talked about him earlier, but the expectation for him what what is Ruiz going to bring to the table for Joshua? And do you expect? I mean, because you know, obviously, you said in the beginning, Joshua, you know, is expected to 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 take this guy out, but from a toughness and from a strategic perspective. Like how how tough do you think Joshua's gonna have uh, have a fight on his hands? I'm kind of expecting a firefight for a few rounds, and it's as I said, it's, I think it's gonna come down to how many big shots 
uh, Ruiz can take. I think he's going to have to put himself in danger to have any kind of chance in this. And I think that's what he will do. I think he, he is the type of guy who will roll, roll the dice on this. And, you know, he, he knows as well as anyone that, like, his chances... To, his his only chance in this fight is to rough Joshua up, uh, you know, work, work him over on the inside and um, land something big. Uh, you know, once kind of Joshua settles into his rhythm, starts boxing and you know landing that jab and landing the right hand, he's going to get 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 pulled apart. So, I think. Ruiz is gonna come come out all guns blazing. I think you know he's got he's going he's gonna show hard. I think he's gonna you know put it on Joshua, but I think he's gonna get he's probably gonna get blown out, and it's just a matter of you know how many how many big shots he can take. What is Joshua's contract status like? Is this the last fight on his deal with the zone? Or or with Eddie, like I, like he had mentioned, I saw I was listening to a podcast, and Joshua was like, you know, something about he's possibly a free agent after this fight is over. Oh, I think I think he, what he's talking about there is more d- d- with the zone in that like he signs fight by fight bait. He's signed on a fight by fight basis with them. Oh, okay. Uh, he's got long term deals with, uh, as far as I'm aware, with uh, Sky Sports and with Matchroom. Got it. Got it. So. There is, because, you know, there, there is always, uh, if you're Joshua and you go, look, I'm heavyweight champion, and then you look at Canelo's deal and you're like, holy cow. Like, I don't know what, I don't know what Joshua's deal is with DAZN, but you look at that Canelo deal and you're like, okay, like, what, like, ha, like, is, where is that money coming from, right? Like, because he's not going to get it fighting the Andy Ruiz's of the world, but, if you talk Deontay Wilder, Tyson Fury, those kind of guys, there should be that kind of Canelo money in there for him. I'm just wondering, like, what is his big, like, what is his big picture idea about this whole thing? Because all three guys are fighting for different promotions, so these this fight's going to be really hard to make. I just wonder, from the zone perspective, how necessary is Joshua for them unless they can get those other two guys in the ring with him? Yeah, um, like I think you like the, the zone needs these big major events. You know, they need to have a major name every at least every couple of months. And I think Anthony Joshua is a big part of that. I think you know Canelo is a big part of that. They, you know, they they need to, they need to be like to connect to be able to connect those dots from from month to month. Um, and like you know, it's it's those big type of fights. It's even like you said from an American perspective, you know, people are going to want to see Joshua in with either Wilder or Fury, but at the same time. There's going to be a credibility to having, you know, an Anthony Joshua fight in London in Wembley Stadium with 90,000 people that there's not many other fights out there in, in boxing that, you know, are going to create that kind of atmosphere and that type of buzz. And, you know, there will be, be a live audience for that. And jo- Joshua is all the time becoming more, I think, more and more re- recognized in name in America just because just because of you know that that triangle with uh, him fury and wilder i think they're they're all kind of all their names are growing off of that i think like as an american boxing viewer i don't really care where he fights i actually love him fighting 
at Wembley because that just that stage and and the crowd and just seeing that many people is so amazing. But I do understand why it's important for him to fight at Madison Square Garden because there's just so much more. There's so much American press that's going to cover him and, and try to make him a crossover, and that's important as well. But like as a viewer, like I I just rather see him fight in London. Like it doesn't really matter to me. Um, but from the business side of things, I think it is very important that he's over here. How often do you think they would have him fight over here? And if you're Fury and Wilder, like where like where do you want those fights to happen? Because there's this tug of war about, you know, and we've seen this historically since boxing has ever existed, which is Who's the more important fighter? Who's the A side? Who's the B side? When it comes to negotiations, where is the fight going to be? You know, where's where where are they going to have it? Under you know, how are they going to split up the revenue? How you know, where are they going to show the fight? Like, there's so many different things going on, and it's not as easy as like, oh, this person is ducking this person. Like, it's just all about the business side of things, and I just I I, I really wonder with Joshua and Fury not being American fighters. It's almost like, you know, the impetus to have these fights in America, like, I almost feel like, maybe, like, why? Why should that be as big a part of this outside of the idea that, you know, crossing over into America is such a big part of this? Well, do you know how you know Anthony Joshua holds all the cards here? How? Because he, sold, he sells more tickets in America than uh, Deontay Wilder does. <laughs> But yeah, you you talked about it. Like the negotiations for that fight have been a mess. But if you, if you look at it, like look at what the two sides are saying. You know, from from Shelley Finkel, he 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 oh, he's been saying. You know, oh he he doesn't he doesn't expect um, Joshua Wilder to happen next. Um, yeah. He said he's saying it'll happen on our times, our our terms, not theirs. Even in, even though he admits that. Joshua is the A side of the fight, and like he m- made the comparison to Mayweather Pacquiao, like because he went pressed on what if one of these guys loses. Yeah, and he said, look, look, Pacquiao lost, and Mayweather Pacquiao was still was still the biggest fight of all time. This fight is not Mayweather Pacquiao, and you know I think the reason why people are interested in this fight is they just see him see them as the two toughest. Go- toughest guys out there and they want to want to know what's going to give and yeah. i think it will i think it will really be hurt if somebody loses and i think if somebody is to lose i think it's more than likely going to be deontay wilder i think you know he he's had some near calls already he had the near call with tyson fury he had the near call with louis ortiz already and you know he's he's not such a you know a complete fighter you can't see a slip up in his future and from Wilder's perspective he was saying he's been saying for the last few weeks you know when asked about Joshua I have other plans what possible other plans could you have like you know are you going to go make a movie with The Rock or something like that you know (laughs) there's nothing in boxing you can do that's going to be bigger than an Anthony Joshua fight Um, you know and then he goes and this very week he announces that you know, he's he's gonna fight Luis Ortiz, and he does that just as Anthony Joshua is about to clear his schedule and be ready to go into negotiations again. From the you know you, you take the flip side of that and you look at what Joshua and Hearn are saying. 
Joshua say, says, we, I don't want to rob the f- 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 fans of this this fight. This has to happen next. Eddie Hearn is saying, look, let's gamble. If 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 Joshua loses, it's bad for me. I know that. It's bad for Anthony Joshua. It's bad for Matchroom. If Wilder loses, it's bad for PBC. It's b- bad for Deontay Wilder. But I want to be part of, you know, a history-making fight. This is our chance to make a fight that, you know, seen on the level of a rumble in the jungle, uh, a thriller in Manila, uh, uh, Lewis Tyson, one of these kind of landmark fights. And, mm-hmm. you know, I would like, this is, this is our one shot to make it. Um, and like he's Eddie Hearns even said he wouldn't rule out 50, 50, 50, split on that. And, you know, in one sense, you kind of had to give Wilder's camp some level of credit because they've, bargained themselves a better hand than they probably deserve in this be- just because of it. they've made it difficult to make but they do not want this fight they've lined up to, they've lined up fights to avoid taking this fight you know they've they, they've got the Luis Ortiz fight signed now there's talking about they may have a Tyson Fury fight signed as of t- today for future and Adam Karnacki is all is also been lined up you know both, and in the case of Ortiz and Karnacki um both of those guys were on the table for Joshua negotiations when Miller pulled out. Karnacki immediately pulled himself out, even though he was going to get a career-high payday. Um, Luis Ortiz, you know, his team were saying, oh, we got a low-ball offer, Luis is in training, we don't know if we can take this. And when Eddie Hearn called them, called their bluff on it and said, look, I'm going to show exactly what you got offered... Luis Ortiz's own manager came out and said, "We overplayed our hand here. Mm-hmm. If we had, if there was, if there was seven seven million million dollars on the table, we we should have ta- taken it. But we're we're being told there's a bigger fight out there. Now, how is, how is does this make economic sense for the PBC model? Tell me that that to be paying like you know Dominic Brazil." Whatever amount they they, they pay, and Deontay Wilder, whatever amount they paid them to fight on regular showtime. Yeah. How can they justify Luis Ortiz? Okay, the Luis Ortiz fight is going to pay per view, but how can they justify paying, you know, seven plus million to to to, to Luis Ortiz plus what they're going to have to pay to Wilder for a fight that's not going to draw on pay per view? Like something doesn't add up here. This, the, the same must have been promised to Karanaki. Who is this helping? You know, it's not helping Deontay Wilder. You know, he's being taken out of the big fights. It's not helping Showtime because they're overspending on fights they can't afford. You you saw what happened to HBO and boxing. Yeah. You know, they got to the point where they were just like, this isn't worth it anymore. We can't afford it. If Showtime keep overpaying on Deontay Wilder fights, that people don't want to see they could be in the same boat you know it's not helping the division it's not helping boxing so you know what's what's the positive in this and you know i actually want to point out an article for people that they can go and read um on it's on a sporting news mm-hmm. and it's by our good friend mr thomas hauser and it's called De- Deontay Wilder, Dominic Brazil, and the Heavyweight Puzzle. Now, the reason why I want to show people this article is just kind of some interesting stuff in this, in terms of what happened with the breakdown of these negotiations. Now, what Hauser says in this is that it was Ludabella who pushed for 
Deontay Wilder to go meet with the zone, right? Where he got that 120 million pound offer for or 120 million dollar offer for the four fights. It was going to be 20 million for Brazil, two and two Joshua fights for for uh, for 40 million each. And you know if they wanted like that, if they wanted um, a fight, a fight in between that was a warm-up fight in between the two Joshua fights. There was another mm-hmm. twenty million fight in there. Now, what Hauser says is that essentially, Finkel, PBC, and Showtime were furious that with uh, with Lou for bring, for encouraging Wilder to go seek that offer. It ended up driving their price up. So Lou is now out of the loop for PBC. Um, you know, Finkel's, Finkel and Heyman blamed Eddie Hearn when when the original uh, negotiations fell apart. Hearn stepped back from them and said, look, I'm out. Go go meet with the zone on your own. I won't involve myself. You negotiate your side, and then we'll negotiate ours. Wilder couldn't reach a hundred. He had 120 million dollars on the table, and he didn't take it. He does not want to fight with Anthony Joshua, or his people that want to fight with Anthony Joshua, and that's why it's not going to happen. Yeah, that's uh, that. That is interesting because you know the other thing. The other piece about this is Wilder is not a young guy. He came to the sport late. He is not not saying that, you know, he's running out of steam or anything, but, you know, it's it's not like he's, you know, 26, 27 years old. Um, and and so, uh, you know, as we all know, for boxers, you know, you have a you have a time clock. It's ticking and, and you need to maximize your ability to make money while you still have the, you know, the athletic ability as well as the drawing power. And, and, you know, you can keep your drawing power really, you know, way after you lose your athletic ability. But at some point, this fight's going to have to be made if he really wants to, you know, to make the money that he thinks he deserves in boxing. And he's not going to do it against, you know, the the Ortizes of the world and the Brazils of the world because people are smarter with... One, I, I think it's two things. One, people are smarter... Because of these services where, you know, DAZN, you're paying 20 bucks a month and versus, you know, if if this thing goes pay-per-view, paying $75 for a fight that will be good, but it's not the one that you want. And the second thing is that there is so much competition these days. We're not only to, you know, boxing is sort of its own thing, but, you know, the UFC and, you know, all of these sports in general like there's just too much stuff for people to even you know keep track of, let alone you know make this prize fight that not that many people think is is necessary. You know, I, I would never pay seventy five dollars to see Wilder um, and Ortiz. I'd, I'd I'd go to a sports bar and watch it and just you know get a get a get dinner or something. But I just I can't like you know <laughs> it's funny because. You know, we'll talk about this sort of at the end because I just want your thoughts. But the AEW show, the the pro wrestling show, Double or Nothing, that John and I talked about on the last episode, uh, Dave Meltzer has it at roughly ninety eight thousand buys, split between streaming and pay per view. I don't think Wilder and Ortiz even does that number on pay per view. Well, another thing that was said in Hauser's article is the reason why the Brazil fight was on Showtime was because they knew 
that it would bomb on pay-per-view and if they put it on pay-per-view the number comes out then they have no hand to negotiate with with joshua anymore or with fury this time i'm guessing like because of just uh, the economics of having a fight where you know Wilder had been promised 20 million by another net network again against Brazil. So, and you know, it's it's up in the air how much he actually got to fight Brazil on uh, on uh, on Showtime. But it, you know, it, we're, we're looking in 10 million plus anyway. Mm-hmm. And you know, obviously, the, you know, Showtime just couldn't make that work, and the, the, you know, they've had to go for the the pay per view model for this. And what they do have in their favor for the Ortiz fight is, you know, the first fight was a really good fight, but it's also you know, an aging fighter in Ortiz, and it was one that had an, a conclusive ending. A conclusive ending, and like there wasn't people, you know, calling out for this rematch. Um, you know, I like I I think really that the like pre- the pressure has to be put on Deontay Wilder to you know move towards a Joshua fight or a Tyson Fury fight, and may, maybe he is moving to the to, to Tyson Fury fight. But if if that is the case, I think that's a very risky play as well because you know I don't think he'll be I don't think he'll be Tyson Fury if they rematch. So we'll, we'll uh, I, I want to get back to you uh, about the Joshua just the card overall and also I'm kind of interested how how you are going to watch it. But before we get there, where does Fury fit in this entire thing? Because he decided after the Wilder fight. That he was going to go join uh, the ranks of uh, Bob Arum and ESPN and, and those guys. Um, and so th- thus, away from, you know, another Wilder fight and away from Joshua as well, if, if we're talking about being under the same umbrella, where does Fury fit? Because I mean, he's fighting soon and I have no idea who the person he's fighting <laughs> Yeah, you're not alone in that. I don't think really anybody knows who, who Tom Schwartz is. Even the hardcore boxing fans don't, don't know. Um, the thing with Fury was, you know, WBC called for, uh, you know, for a final eliminator for to have him against Dillian White. And, you know, Dillian White should have had a shot at Wilder at this at this point he's he's been fighting for like you know WW, WBC's uh you know ranking titles for years now he's had like I think four defenses or something like that of, of you know the WBC silver title which is meant to increase your ranking each time and you know he's been the number one contender for a long time he's never been called as mandatory but they asked to like which made absolutely zero sense they asked um for Fury and white to be made and it was like fury just pulled himself out of a sh- out of like a mandatory shot at wilder you know he's not going to take uh, a number one contenders match with another guy to get a shot at which should get to get back in the exact same position with wilder but then kind of a story came out afterwards that fury said he or he said on social media that he would take the fight with dillian white if the if wbc uh, put their diamond title on the line, and WBC said okay. And Eddie Hearn and Dillian White said, "All right, we'll we'll do that." And now uh, Fury's kind of got a lot less interested in, in that one. Mm-hmm. Um, so, but what we're hearing now, like as of today, is 
Deontay Wilder is saying that him and Tyson Fury is signed for after him and Luis Ortiz. And is that true? I don't know. Um, it. I think it's interesting timing in that it's the day before Anthony Joshua fights. Um, when Deontay uh, Wilder just also announced one fight, uh, there was a fight directly before, like within a week of of today um so to announce two fights that close together is curious for me but i don't know we'll 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 we'll, we'll see so break down uh saturday's card who else is on this show and for people who are interested in in the undercard and who they may want to pay attention to uh let them know who they should be watching for okay well they've actually got a really good card for this um like it's one of those ones I was saying on t- uh, Twitter during the week that I think you know when people look back on this in a few years they're gonna go I cannot believe all all those people were on that one card, um like in firstly you've got Katie Taylor um fighting for the uh, undisputed w- women's title at lightweight um she's got three three of the four belts her opponent uh pursuing has got he's got the wbc belt uh taylor has been the biggest star in women's boxing for forever um you know she's probably the reason why women's boxing has kind of been catapulted into the limelight and over the last few years she was the reason a huge part of the reason why it became an olympic sport and you know this is her chance to unify the titles on a huge bill um you know, and given that like it's a New York crowd, I would imagine Katie's probably outside of Anthony Joshua. Katie will be the most popular person on this card uh, t- uh, tomorrow night. Uh, under that, you've got Callum Smith. Callum's just coming off winning the 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 World Bo- Boxing Super Series uh, with a win over George Groves. He's the consensus number one at super middleweight. Um, the fight they've got Smith in. I think looks better on paper than it actually is. It's against Hassan Andam. Andam's a long-time contender, a middleweight moving up. Uh, he's a little bit long in the tooth at 35. And, you know, he he was best as kind of a middleweight. So it is one you would expect. Like, they've left it really late to announce this fight. And, you know, it's a decent matchup. But it's one you would expect Cal- Callum to win kind of well. He needs to get back out. He hasn't fought since September. Um then there's kind of two of the big stars of British box, the big future stars of British boxing are on this card as well, which, you know, I think one of these, at least one, if not both of these guys are going to be massive crossovers in the next couple of years. The first is Josh Kelly, 9-0. He's trained by Adam Booth, who also trained David Hay, George Groves, Andy Lee, Ryan Burnett. Adam thinks... Josh Kelly's the best fighter he's ever trained, or the most talented fighter he's ever trained. He's against uh, Ray Robinson, 24-3-1, a very solid uh, American. Um, you know, he drew against a Lithuanian fighter who's 21-0 in his last fight. He has upset some prospects in his time. He's, you know, he's like, you know, for a fighter like Josh Kelly at just 9-0, it's a good a good step, a step up into the, you know, fringe world class level but like people expect really big things of Kelly he's, he's charismatic he's got um, a really flashy style people I, I kind of compare him to Nassim Hamad a lot he's got power um, I think he's 
got he he has a real chance to steal the show on this. And then the other one who I think is like probably getting less hype at the moment, but I I think is more upside is Joshua Boazzi, um, ten and zero light heavyweight, uh, a medalist in the last Olympics. Um, I think this guy is going to be to the light heavyweight division what Anthony Joshua is to the heavyweight division. He is a great puncher, good speaker, likable guy, um, very marketable. You know, he's stepping up against uh, uh, my god, Tony Paraban, who's, you know, he's a guy who's been in the mix of world title before down at, down at super middleweight. He's fought James DeGale, uh, Jay Leon Love, Saki Obika. Again, a good step up for Buatzi. The, the risk on this one is Parabon has been inactive for a really long time. He's, I don't think he's fought in two years, so you don't really know what he's got left. But this is more about just, I would say, showcasing Buatzi at this stage. And then there's, you know, another match, which is really a really, uh, I think, like good competitive match, which is Chris Algieri um, against Tommy Coyle. You know, Tommy Coyle would never claim to be one of the, like, you know, a world class fighter or anything like that. But, you know, he's he's had, uh, you know, a really good crowd pleasing style. He's got some great wins in his career. I think, you know, now he's just at the point where he's, uh, free rolling where it's just like w- what's the best fight what's the biggest fight fights he can get you know it, like I think he's done what he wanted to do in boxing and you know getting to fight in Madison Square Garden a huge opportunity for him against Chris Algieri you know Algieri he's lost the Spence he's lost the Khan he lost the Pacquiao but those are his three losses you know he, they're, they're much higher level than Tommy Coyle but I just like how those styles match up Algieri's not really a hitter Coyle's full of guts so he'll he'll press them and you know I'd imagine Algeria will just be too good for him but I think you might see a f- fun little fight on that and then I guess the last three fights on the card um, are all showcase b- bouts but you know there might be the ones with guys that might be worth paying attention to uh, Suleiman Sissoku um, bronze medalist at welterweight in the last olympics uh, he's eight and oh he's the guy i know least about on this card he's fought his entire career in france so far um i yeah i don't know that much about him he's campaigning a middleweight now um but the gold and silver medalists uh daniel yelusinov and shakram gizyev uh are, 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 are both signed to matchroom as well. So, the, the, you know, they've got the three medalists from the last Olympics all, all signed up to contract. So that's maybe a direction they're looking at going with those guys. And then the two young prospects on the card, Austin Williams, just having a second fight, you know, great story with him. He won on a, a matchroom bill in, in, in April you know, he got, he got a quick knockout in his debut. Eddie Hearn announced back backstage to him when he came back to the locker room, "Your your next fights in the on the undercard of Anthony Joshua, uh, um, Andy Ruiz in the Garden." So huge opportunity for Austin Williams. And the other one is Diego Pacheco, who people think is go people see as possibly being you know a 
next big uh, Mexican boxing star. You know, he is a long way off that at the moment. He's only 18 years old. He's 3-0, but he's got the attributes. He's a 6'4 middleweight. Um, You know, he still looks kind of like a kid in the ring at the moment. I think he's one of these guys like a Devin Haney or a Canelo where there's going to be 20 fights before you actually see, you know, they're going to have 20 fights on the record by the, by the time they're 20. And, you know, that it won't be until then you really start seeing what they've got. But, you know, he's somebody that's, you know, this is just the, the, the first steps of his journey, but, you know, he could be sort of really special too. So the thing that I find fascinating is, especially during these American cards, you are watching this stuff in the middle of your night. <laughs> how how do you like how do you prepare your day around fights that for you are happening, you know, at like two and three and four o'clock in the morning? Like like do you do you nap during the day? Do you just, you know, is your Sunday just really terrible? Like, how do you prepare for these kind of cards? Because I imagine you're going to watch this thing from beginning to end. And it, by the time it ends, it's like early in the morning for you. Yeah, um, it's become a lot, <laughs> a lot, a lot tougher as I've, I've got older to do it. But yeah, I, I like and I don't do it as much. But, you know, for one like this or, you know, what I'm excited about, uh, I, I will stay up for it. Generally, what I will do is I'll sleep in on this Saturday morning and just have a late night. <laughs> that's, just, that's how it works for me. It's just so amazing to me because... Like the, you know, I, I would actually compare it to uh, the New Japan stuff that, that, you know, that I watch. And if the show starts at like midnight my time, you know, we could get we could get through it. You know, so let's say Tokyo Dome. Yeah, four o'clock in the morning, one night a year to where we have to do that. But you're doing this like at, since sometimes seemingly it seems like once a month where you're kind of preparing your body. I imagine like. You know, your body is just sort of prepared, like, okay, like once a month, I'm going to do this where I stay up so late. And it's not like it's not like you can be super tired because you're really watching this with a keen eye. Like, I, I find that part of it amazing. Yeah, well, it's actually twice in two weeks uh, at the moment because I watched uh, Double or Nothing live last week. <laughs> but uh, yeah, although I haven't been doing this that often. It, those would be the first two I've done in a quite a long time. So let's actually, um, we, 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 you know, we, this is why Duan is on this podcast, right? Because he just broke down the entire card. He he uh, broke down the heavyweight division and what it means. Um, but we're actually going to segue into a movie that we both saw, which really relates to uh, our Fabulous Four podcast series uh, called I Am Duran. So... You know, the the stuff that we just talked about probably going to be done by tomorrow night. So hopefully people got to listen to it either Friday night or, or Saturday morning. But this piece, you know, the movie doesn't come out until middle of next week. So if you, you know, if, if you feel like, um, you know, you, you, can, you can listen, you know, it's not going to be spoiled. This is more a little bit more evergreen content because we're going to talk about this movie. But the movie is... Uh, it's it's directed. Um, gosh, I just had the name of the director. Uh, you had what was the what was the name of the director? You Matt, had? Matt Hodgson. Matt Hodgson. There you go. So this this kind of came to us like he's. I mean, he's a 
he's he's a British guy, right? Like he's not he's not uh, Panamanian. He's not from America. Like he's a British guy who I, I'm assuming just had a, just a great interest in in Duran's career and in boxing in general. Yeah, um, I, I like I I thought this was a, you know a really good film, um, and yeah, Matt Hodgson is a British director. He's done a couple of films before. He did one on Ricky Hatton. Uh, about his last fight and he's Hatton's been, last stand in, from 2013 and he's been producer on a few others one about Carl Frampton one about the McGuigans like he's a, he's a sport he's a sports film director and he, he you know, stole he, the name he stole our name by the way it's called fight <laughs> fight game the McGuigans um but you know He's a guy who obviously knows and loves the sport because I thought that really came true in this film. You know, sometimes when you have somebody from the outside looking in, they don't necessarily pick up on the little things that, you know, boxing fans will value. And I thought he absolutely nailed this and just in terms of the footage was so carefully uh, selected, you know, the the interviews were perfect there was so much to like about this film you know as soon as you mentioned that we could watch this i was like i am all in for this Mm -hmm. um like i can't get enough of this stuff as long as it go it's good and i thought this this one was like really 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 well well done um you know there was a lot to unpack in duran's life in just a 90 minute film but i think they did it did him tremendous justice in this yeah, I thought it was really good. And and it's so funny because, you know, we just got done, you know, it's a couple months ago doing the epilogue. And, you know, Roberto's the one that, that you know, he, he continues fighting. Um, and because of the car crash, I mean, maybe he does keep fighting. You know, unfortunately, he got in that, that car wreck. But the uh, this, this this documentary ends after the after the Barkley fight. And I thought it was such a fantastic way to end and where they're sort of like he does this really cool thing where obviously the Panama Canal is is a big thing and you see a lot of Ronald Reagan in this movie <laughs> I was I was popping for all the Ronald Reagan clips um and just the, just the idea of uh, of Duran and his people and who he stands for and this fight with Barkley and the fight with Barkley it really looks like a, a fight from Rocky like just the the back and forth and the back and forth and I just thought it was such a fantastic and poetic way to end the fight or end the movie. And like, if I had thought before, if I would think, you know, normally, how do you end a film like this? Oh, you know, you probably end it with Duran and Leonard, where they both kind of have to to uh, to hang it up. But no, he ends at a very high point. And I thought it was just a magnificent way to tell that story. Yeah, I agree. And it's funny that you say that because I actually had that written down. I have that written down here on my notepad to actually mention that um, as well. Because, you know, when we did the Fabulous Four series, you know, I was pushing to do the epilogue with you. I was like, we we have to finish out these stories for each of these guys. And most of the reason for that was just for tommy and roberto just these stories of guys who just kept fighting on i thought there was something to that just you know they fall out like that they just no way to take them away from boxing and you know they 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 they, they, they were going to fight for as long as they could i thought that was a i thought that was a fascinating 
uh, just look at you know what kind of makes them tick but at the same time within the story that like um matt hodgson is is telling i thought you know they got it perfect by not including that later part of his career and not and like it was a brave move to yeah. cut off the the, the the leonard fight like you know they did they mentioned the leonard fight just in the the closing credit notes but they don't actually show it they they finish at a, a high point and it's, it was almost like you know what they talk about with the way they talk about the barclay fight it's almost like you know they're saying that roberto was over the hill at this point and it was just like going beyond his physical limits you know right. it was just like you know he's pulling something out of himself to get this great last performance and you know it's one we call we we also called it you know a great last performance of his career and you know being that this movie was cel- like a celebration of roberto duran's career you know it, it was the perfect place to end it because you know it it, it finished on a on a high, a high note and you know obviously there was other reasons why you know, it would have made a lot of sense for them to tie into the last Leonard fight because, you know, this movie was very uh, politically framed. A lot mm-hmm, of mm-hmm. a lot of what it was based on was, uh, you know, the political climate in Panama at the time, and obviously, uh, Uno Mas ha- happened just 13 days before the U.S. occupation of. Panama. So, like you know, that play that 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 fight kind of played a huge part in what in the story they were trying to tell. But you know, they they chose to end it at the high point of Roberto's career rather than you know, uh, those later go into those later fights. And I I thought that 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 was you know really really well done. Yeah. So I I I went a little bit backwards, but we'll go back to the beginning. I just thought the. You know, is this my favorite? Like, as good as this movie was, that was my favorite part. And uh, I thought it was just, you know, just so well done. So, the, you know, this story, if you follow Duran, you know everything about this guy. Uh, if you're a, uh, if you're a fight fan uh, like us, like you know I, I, what I what I what I loved about at least the, in the beginning stuff is you actually saw a lot of the a lot of the guys who were on. In the documentary, you saw Stallone, you saw Mike Tyson, obviously Sugar Ray, because Sugar Ray's a big part of this. You see Hagler. But the fa- like just the fandom that Mike Tyson has for Roberto Duran, like just comes out like in 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 just you know, just in spades. Uh, also Stallone, like some of the the way that Stallone described Duran. Uh, you know, th- then they they played the clip from Duran and Rocky Two, which was kind of cool to see Stallone talk about, because you know I've seen Rocky Two probably a hundred times, but there there's a there's a level of respect they have for him that uh, is a little bit different that that you usually see because they 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 definitely reference just the nastiness and sometimes you know his his especially in the build-up to the Sugar Ray fight, like, he was really, like, kind of probably wrong to to do some of the things that he did, especially towards Leonard's wife. But there is a respect for, like, an old-school, nasty boxer, you know, the pomp and circumstance, the, the exact opposite of what Sugar Ray, uh, who Sugar Ray was. Uh, but, like, I, I just really marveled at, at how respected he was to these guys. And, you know... Uh, for it's just it's just a different way of acknowledgement that that you usually see 
uh, in sports today. Like it was an old school tough. This guy was just tough. And that's what I respected was his toughness, his nastiness. It wasn't about, oh, he was a good guy. It was like, no, it's the opposite of he was a good guy. Yeah, and when you mentioned the interviews included in this, I think they got just super lucky in this, in that, you know, whenever you make a film like this, you need to get, you know, these talking heads, and yeah, there's a balance to keep between getting people who are big names and people who can actually add something of substance. And with this one, they just so happened that, like, you know... They got the big, the, the big name guys were people who were, you know, super invested in Gerard and really could add something that was worth it. You know, you couldn't probably ask for two bigger stars in terms of, you know, uh, presenting boxing in the popular c- culture than uh, Sylvester Stallone and Robert De Niro, respectively, in Rocky and Raging Bull. You know, and they both have personal connections to Roberto Duran in terms of, you know. The modern modern boxing, they have, you know, Ricky Hatton and Mike Tyson, two huge, uh, larger than life characters who are also both worship Roberto Duran and are close personal friends of him. And, you know, then you also got like, you know, his rivals. You had um, Leonard, of course, always speaks well. You had Barkley in there. You didn't have Tommy, which was kind of the one absence in this movie. And I don't know, maybe Tommy just, there wasn't that much Tommy could say on this because really he just knocked Roberta out pretty quick. Like I don't, I don't, I don't <laughs> yeah. that, that, that much story to tell. <laughs> but I think, I think the the big get for them on this, and I thought he, he looked great, um, was Marvin because Marvin does very little of this type yeah, of stuff. Yeah, absolutely. What, what do you, like, uh, it seemed like a lot of these interviews were done a while ago because of just how young some of these guys looked. Now, Stallone definitely looked like maybe five years younger. Uh, Marvin, like you said, Marvin looked great. Ray, I, I can't tell with Ray because he, he always looks young and just about everything. But it seemed like some of this stuff was maybe recorded uh, previously. I don't, I don't know if he – if uh, Hodgson um, – in, in some of the other documentaries he was doing, he also was kind of had the idea that he was going to do a Duran one at the same time. So maybe he was asking questions about Duran in, in you know, knowing that he was going to do this. But I, I couldn't gather, like, what the time frame was of all of these interviews. Yeah, but, but like, there's also, like, you know, Don King and um, Bob Arum are interviewed in there, given the promoter's perspective. Um, um, Manuel Noriega is interviewed in, in this. <laughs> um, Roberto's family's interviewed in this. Uh, you know, um, you have kind of the boxing insiders, uh, the journalists, you have like Larry Merchants involved. Mm-hmm, like mm-hmm. there's such a wide breadth of interviews on it. And I think all of them are really good. If anything, you know, probably the drawback is that it was too broad in that like right. you didn't get to hear enough of any of these guys like i would like you know i would like to hear all those interviews uncut you know and yeah absolutely this is one of these things just with the way media has changed like you know if this if this film was released 10 years ago they'd more than likely do an extended edition with like you know a two-disc version where maybe you 
you you you could watch all those interviews and you know with streaming services and things like that there just isn't a home for those extras really anymore right like if you're a boxing fan like you would love to see all that footage and just also just some of the actual clips they showed in this film are great like you know there's some really early duran fight footage some real grainy old footage Mm -hmm. that's awesome um but then there's also just stuff that just kind of gets lost in the shuffle over the years you know things that maybe that were like from a press conference or a TV show or, you know, uh, like a news piece or something like that, that, you know, maybe doesn't get uploaded to the inter- internet when people, you know, put up these fights and things like that. You get, get little bits of Roberto training or, you know, just clowning around or, you know, d- doing some interviews and things like that. that are you know, just like if you're a fight fan, it's just awesome footage. And like, I'm sure I'd love to know, you know, from the director's perspective, how much material he 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 started with, and you yeah, know, yeah, how how much stuff he had to, to cut out, and you know, if if he if he would like to put, if he is gonna, it does have any ideas to kind of what he's gonna do with kind of some of that footage, whether it's the interview stuff or, you know, uh, the archive footage, or even like kind of the. The the, the 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 current footage they they shot with Roberto, which is re- really great as well. I think most people when it comes to Duran, especially if you're an American fight fan, you want to see the stuff with Ray. And like we said, there's no there, there there's reference of the third fight, but they don't actually show it. Um, and and like no mass isn't the, like no mass isn't the the focal point right, of, right. Of, of, of this story, which I thought was important. Like it's a, it's a big part of it, but it's it, it's not the big part of it. Absolutely. And so the um Basically, the, the the point that I was kind of heading towards is how you handle that story, I think, becomes very important because it's what people know most about him if you're not a hardcore fight fan. Like, it's kind of the biggest thing, right? And so I always, I always, I, I kind of think, I was trying to think back to the, the 30 for 30 documentary and how Roberto answered those same questions. I thought the way that they handled this, this uh, both fights in this scenario was was great because it was almost like a culmination of everything we read from all the different books, and it felt like, you know, I, I, I'm sure when you tell the same story over and over and over and over and over again, it changes somewhat, and maybe your feelings that day are a little bit different. But I, I felt like that was truthful like what what they were saying you know it, the the focus of that 30 for 30 was for ray to get the one answer from roberto like why did you do that you know that kind of thing and this one i thought they were both very matter of fact they weren't chasing down some sort of created storyline they were they treated it like it like it was and like it happened but obviously through the lens of you know guys 40 years later or whatever um but I was just wondering how you thought, or 35 years later, whenever those interviews were recorded, I was just wondering how you thought they handled the whole, the, the first two fights. No, I thought, I thought they did, did a really good job. Um, I th- think, you know, I think the way they kind of told this story was through those key fights in Duran's career. It was kind of the Buchanan fight. It was the two, the first two Leonard fights, uh, and the... Uh, Davy Moore fight, the the Hagler fight, and then the 
the Barkley fight, those were, those were kind of, you know, the the dots they 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 threaded this story through, and you know, um, I felt like, yeah, I felt like he did a really good job of, you know, both celebrating the success of Roberto in that first fight, and you know, as you said, just kind of get getting to getting true to some of like kind of what made him tick it was some, some of the nastiness some of how he got in Ray's head and then also just kind of you know bringing back the other side of it where you can empathize with him where uh, right. you know you saw how how, how tough uh, no mass was on him and um yeah, I thought it, I, I thought I thought it was a, like it was a nuanced portrayal. Like it, you know, I, it, as you said, it, it it wasn't all one th- one thing. You know, they they showed like all sides of Roberto. So, I, I think um, one of the interesting parts was uh, the Davy Moore fight, which we talked about in the, in in our uh, podcast series. But it was like here's the turning point. Um, and you know, uh, the, the, the story of Duran losing that second fight and just not being able, not, you know, the, the country treating him differently and he really has to get the respect back. And I thought it was amazing because, you know, when his wife is talking about like, why does he keep fighting? And he's just like, you know, it's for these people. And what it, and what it made me wonder is if the no mas fight doesn't end the way that it does and he they go the distance and leonard you know kind of runs away with it um how does how is his life different how how does he reti- i mean do, can he retire do you think he doesn't do you think he he doesn't have that dr- drive to just keep keep get, getting up to, like right. you know is that is that what motivated him to keep so, to keep picking himself back up it's almost like an overcorrection right like that was a moment where it's, it stands out as, you know, the moment that changed his life. And so he sort of overcorrected the other way because he didn't, you know, he didn't want to be seen as a quitter in any way ever again. And I want, I just wonder how does his, how does his whole career change if he just loses the fight and goes 12 rounds and, and doesn't quit or 15 rounds and doesn't quit. And, you know, Leonard gets the better of him. Um, I, I, it made me think like, the, the, the story of his career probably changes and maybe he doesn't have that renaissance at the end, which is literally all about him having the drive for his fan base. Yeah, that, that, that's an interesting point. And it's one I hadn't really thought about before. Um, like, I do think a lot of like a lot of this resurgence in interest in the last few years has been. You know, a big part of that is is you know Roberto picking himself back up from No Mas. Uh, you know, it, 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 like I think you know that's kind of like you know was the focus of that thirty for thirty series, and you know it's been a big resurgence of interest in his career in general. You know, it, it, uh, there was the movie uh, with, with with De Niro, and there was uh, there there was also like his, his his newest biography came came out recently and i think you know what people are drawn to is that story of you know that 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 drive of just you know of a guy who just who just who just wouldn't give up who just who just who would just always 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 go back to it so is there anything else that you kind of wanted to talk about before we move on to the last topic of this show, which is I just want to get your thoughts on the Double or Nothing show, even though John and I talked about it already. But anything else you wanted to wrap up with the, on this? Uh, no, just like I would 
this gets two thumbs up from me. I'd recommend, uh, you know, anyone who listened to our series and enjoyed it. I think they're definitely going to like this. And just if you're a fan of documentaries, I think you'll really like it as well. Like, it's a very well-told story. Yeah, so I Am Duran uh, reaches digital uh, next week. So if you want to check it out, I'm sure it will be on all the ways that you get streaming content. So definitely check it out. It's worth it. I, I mean, if you want to give it a, a ranking out of five stars, like it, 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 you know, it's one of the better sports documentaries that I've seen in a, in a while. So definitely worth watching. Um, okay, so la- last little bit here. We don't have to go too long on this because, uh, you know, John and I, like I said, John and I talked about it already, but I just want your thoughts on Double or Nothing um, from the perspective of, like you said, you had to do another event where you stayed up all night to watch something. So you obviously thought it was going to be worth it. And, you know, how how did you come out of that show? Where Did you – a lot of people – we're saying it was one of the best shows that they've seen. Um, I thought it was one of the best live shows I'd ever been to. But how? what was your perspective? Yeah, I thought it was like, you know, when the first All In show came around, I think I was about, you know, 60% positive on it. And there's about 40% I didn't like. This one was more like, you know, 80, 85% uh, positive. There was a couple of things I thought weren't great. I didn't like the... Uh, the the buy-in or was that what it was called the opening yeah, hour the, the the pre-show yeah the pre-show i didn't really i thought i thought they got on off to the wrong foot on the wrong foot with that i didn't i thought um this is this this this, this, this sammy Guevara kip sabian match was a little bit flat because those guys weren't known and like the battle royal was just messy i wouldn't it's not what i would have led with as my first impression but like you know i if because of that i kind of went in uh kind of expecting the worst when I, when the, the live show started and I had thought it was just a, a great show up and down um, and you know it's something that really kind of without them really trying they they got me interested in it in these last few weeks just because it's become such a big news story um, in the business just like in terms of the impact AEW has like there hasn't we haven't been in this position really since uh, WCW closed down, where there's something that can a real shake up in the industry, where there could be a difference maker of another difference maker promotion. And you know, I think most fans, whether whether you're whether you like WWE or not, wanted to see this succeed. And um, I thought I thought they did like as good a job as they could have done. Like nearly everything worked on the live show. Um, there's obviously going to be some kinks to be ironed out over over time. I had to, you know, it is still only their second show, um. But by and large, I thought it was really good. I thought uh, the Japanese girls, especially, were. I thought that match was excellent. I thought from that point onwards, the show really t- t- turned up a notch. Mm-hmm. Um, Cody Dustin isn't really the type of fight match I generally like, but I thought it was. You know, a, a, a great old school brawl. Um, the Young Bucks match was obviously spectacular, and Omega's match with Jericho—not my favorite Kenny Omega match—but still, any Kenny Omega match is usually pretty, pretty damn good. And um, you know, they did get the big surprise to, to end things with with Dean Ambrose. Did you listen to the Dean Ambrose interview on Talk Is Jericho? Yes. What did you think? 
I thought it was interesting. Um, I don't know. I necessarily bought what he said. Um, <laughs> I think I'm probably in the same boat as you on this in that, like, you know, you have so many criticisms of the WWE, but this is a company that made you a millionaire. You know, you know what I mean? That made you a household name. You know, Dean Ambrose, Prior to WWE, John Moxley wasn't exactly knocking them dead. You know, he owes the position he's in now to what he what he did in WWE. And sure, I'm sure he was frustrated at at times there. I'm sure there was things that he didn't like doing. And like, I think everybody is like creative from a creative perspective is frustrated with WWE. But you can't deny that he also had possibly you know as good as good as good a position in that company as you could have got like the shield is one of the few things that wwe has done right uh in recent years and you know spiraling out of that, that you know they did they did bring him to the top of the card they made him a world champion which i think few people would have spotted dean ambrose as a championship level guy um so Look, I, I look at it like this. If Ambrose is what he says he is, he's going to prove it in the next few months. If he's not, we'll see that too. So I guess the last question I have for you is I understand this market fairly well and where AEW fits in. Obviously, they are number two immediately. WWE is still heads and shoulders above them when it comes to a company. Um, well, how do they fit in? in your neck of the woods like do you think that uh they're going to be uh successful right away you know they announced tv over there um do you sense that uh that people are jazzed about it uh i I, I'm, i'm trying to just you know figure out the international piece of this and uh and it seems like they're they're really trying to to make sure that that uh you know that side of 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 the world is is gonna is gonna have the opportunity to uh, to enjoy the product a lot. Yeah, like they they have got a strong platform in in ITV. It, it, it depends. Like you know, WWE is such a strong brand over here. I don't think like I don't think it's even you know their TV show or anything like that that keeps them that like that makes them number one over here. It's just they've you know that they've just become so synonymous with wrestling in this market that like you know even if raw's doing no viewers over here the shows when 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 they tour still still do do two great great houses um like you know the merchandise all that all that side of things like people just recognize the wwe brand um aw on itv have a, a, a platform where they can get exposure um it's gonna we're gonna have to wait and see you know there is a it, there is a hardcore fan base in the uk and in ireland that come out to see uh like independent shows it was very very healthy for the last number of years i think it i think you know since the, the wwe uk thing came in ironically it's kind of dried up a lot i mm-hmm. think it's kind of overexposed the market right but it's it's how how big like you know th- that market is is kind of hard to judge you know it's it, it, you, you see full houses that indie shows but like 
you know, ITV is a mainstream channel. It's a, it's a, it's a, tra- a traditional terrestrial TV. Like, you know, what they do, what, like, you know, they can put on soaps or reruns of soaps and do, you know, millions and millions of viewers. So can, you know, AEW pull an, an audience that will be successful on that show? I'm, I'm not sure. Like, you know, World of Sport, we're not able to do it. I, um AEW, you know, it, it like it it, it 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 is one of those things that it's been so much built around the young bucks and Kenny Omega, and that brand has been been very successful in this market when they've toured. Um, it's just whether or not you know you you know that can reach out beyond uh, the, the 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 very core uh, wrestling audience. You know the people who go to the shows because that's what it's going to need to do to uh, to be successful in this market. Yeah, no, that's I mean that's it's so interesting and it's kind of fun. Like I think people think that a lot of us who follow this closely are all of a sudden just these huge AEW fans and it's like down with WWE, right? And that is absolutely not the case. I would prefer that WWE is running on all cylinders. Like, but we can't we can't pretend that they are, right? When they're not. And so it's so fun to see somebody come up with and look, they're not reinventing the wheel here. They're just giving us what we what we what we think is entertaining and, and good stuff. And that is what WWE used to do as well in, in, in many uh, of their great eras. So, you know, the, the WWE apologists who just sit there and go, oh, it's all about AEW and you guys are against it. That's not it in, in the least. Like, I, I'm a wrestling fan, first and foremost. I, I watch stuff that is worth watching and I don't watch stuff that is not worth watching. And right now, WWE is not worth watching. So, you know, that's how you kind of, that's kind of how this thing works is you praise what is worth praising and what is good and you are critical on what is not good. And that's, that's, that's how this thing works. Now, there's going to be a time where AEW is no longer going to be the dandy of, of the world and they're going to do bad stuff too. And you, and you, you just call out that bad stuff. And, and so, you know, I, I think our, you know, our, our listeners are, are probably on the higher end of, of, uh, of intelligence when it comes to actual wrestling business. So I don't think we have many of those folks, but it's just funny seeing how a lot of folks who are just WWE fans just so badly want AEW to fail. And it's like, no, you should want a variety. Like you shouldn't only want one thing to watch. And, and that's how I look at this. So, you know, uh, I, I, I hope AEW does well and I hope they want or they make WWE improve and, and, and do better as well. Cause that's only better for the consumer. And that's all we are. We're just consumers. We are not, uh, fan, you know, fanboys of one specific brand. We're just consumers. And that's how you kind of have to look at this. Yeah. And look, it, it it's it, like, it's, it's very early days. Like AEW's only had two shows. We don't like, you know, when they move to weekly TV, it could be a disaster. We don't know yet, but like, I'm, I'm willing to give them a chance, you know, and yeah, I think also just as you said, there are people who are, you know, line up for WWE in every instant. But I think there's also just kind of, you know, the other side of it, which is kind of the indie fans who are like, 
just kind of barrel crabs where once something kind of steps out of their indie pool, they want to pull it back down. You know, I, I, I seen it in the UK a lot with, uh, you know, with progress when they kind of partnered up with WWE and they were doing big, big things, you know, a lot of the, a lot of fans of the other groups kind of turned on them. And I think that's kind of the way it is a little bit with AEW as well. Like, you know, people, once it's, once it's, you know, somebody steps up outside of their little scene, uh, you know, they want to pull it back down. All right, so um, so yeah, we're done here. So thanks to Doing for jumping on. I know it's a little bit late in your and uh, where you live, um, and hopefully people get a chance to listen to this before the Joshua fight because Doing broke that down uh, very well, and he even kind of broke some news with the with the Tyson Fury and Wilder thing. I just saw the story as you were talking about. It. I was like, oh, I didn't, I didn't hear about this, and I saw the story just come through uh, social media. So Doing is on top of his game, but. Thanks for listening, everybody. Um, John and I will be back during the week to talk about all the stuff that's going on and uh, review Raw episode 19 from 1993. And uh, thanks to doing. I'm Double G. We will see you when we see you. Peace out.